Welcome to Box Out Banter. I'm Chris Okamura. Joining me as always, Mr. Jordan Christmas. How's it going, Jordan? It's going good. Uh, one, our little, me and my friends, and you were a part of it too. We do this uh, fighting game tournament monthly for Dragon Ball Fighter Z. It's basically yeah. a tournament amongst friends. And I was able to stake my claim back on top, getting revenge <laughs> from, from getting knocked out last time. I was salty, very salty, but like a Kobe revenge tour or any thing, whatever star player you want to name a LeBron revenge tour, whatever. I, I was on a mission and I got the job done. So I feel, I feel proud of myself. You had to go through me first to go through it too. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, uh, well, I'm not going to say how bad I won, but I, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, no, but uh, it was, it was fun though. Like Dragon Ball Fighter Z is one of my favorite fighting games ever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that so and melee, and I'm probably missing like one or two. I'm not like a huge fighting game. I'm not a walking fighting game lexicon like you are, but uh, <laughs> but uh, those two are definitely at the top for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely worth a, a shot. If, if anyone's listening that isn't a fighting game fan or you know doesn't know what we're talking about, Dragon Ball Fighters is a fantastic fighting game that you should all check out. What do you mean? Um, all our listeners should be playing video games. <laughs> they should. They really should. Um, and it's Dragon Ball. Yeah. Who, Who doesn't Dragon watch Ball? Dragon Ball? You know, how many, you know how many NBA players right now are wearing Dragon Ball shoes? I know. It's wild, right? There's a lot. And I was, I was laughing, too, because it's kind of thing where uh, I was trying to tell my dad, like, because my dad is aware of all this stuff like he doesn't he hasn't he watched like maybe a couple episodes with me of dragon ball when i was growing up as a kid and he's mm-hmm. like aware of the characters and knows who they are but he was surprised at like not su- i don't think surprise is the right word but he was like wow there's a lot of like naruto and dragon ball nba players that are like openly fans of them and they have like tattoos and shoes and like all that kind of stuff yep. i was like yeah dude all these dudes are my age now <laughs> <laughs> like they're grow- like they're or younger, right? Like they're growing. Like they're these are the kids that grew up watching this stuff. So yeah, it's like yep. the stuff that they those grew were up the with. kids trying to turn Super Saiyan in third grade. Just yeah, or like screaming at the TV. <laughs> yeah, or like trying to shoot Kamehameha's out, out of their hands. Have I told you? Have I told you my? They we got in trouble for playing Dragon Ball at elementary school. This is a great story. Uh, <laughs> okay. My, my my side note, huge side note. There's a so we used to play Dragon Ball in elementary school and it was basically just us beating the shit out of each other <laughs> that was like that was like the game right but my friend everardo just kids beating the shit out of each other <laughs> yeah so my, my friend everardo uh is hispanic kid that he lost his pinky in uh escalator accident when he was young like little really like four or five. Oh god and so he had four fingers on his hand so he, on his i think right hand he had four fingers and so he <laughs> I was like, dude, you have to be Frieza. And he goes, why do I have to be Frieza? I was like, because you have four fingers. So that was like, so he was, so, so he was always Frieza. So we, we would mess him up. Like we would just, and so, you know, not, not like in a mean bullying way, but like we would just like, like we would mess him up looking back on it now. And then, so now, so then I ran into him at the mall like a couple of years ago. And I was like, dude, and we kept, we're catching up, whatever. And I was like, dude, I I tell this story all the time. And I want to say sorry for like beating the shit out of you all the time. He goes, dude, don't worry about it. It's like some of my greatest memories. Look, it's still my, I still love Frieza. And he shows me his phone and he has Frieza, born for Frieza on his wallpaper. <laughs> on his phone. And I was like, dude, you're, 
I was like, dude, you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you made him a Frieza fan just by, <laughs> just by making him Frieza in a game. Where kids are mean, man. <laughs> dude, kids are fucked up. Kids are kids. Are, I can't. Yeah, I can't say. Um, can't say I. I've been absolved from doing mean stuff as a kid, but goddamn. <laughs> when you said that he was Frieza with four feet. Oh boy, <laughs> I knew exactly what you were. Doing. <laughs> shout out to him shout out to Everardo man that dude's dope I love that guy <laughs> <laughs> we should uh, yeah, was, before, we, before we straight too funny. far into the anime universe we should go we should come back down and uh, talk about uh, basketball <laughs> we should uh, so I, before we get I know we're going to get the all-star reserve stuff uh, I just want to bring up this thing uh, well two things actually one I'm so I'm we were talking last week about how confused we are about the Pelicans. I am even more confused after this week about yeah. what the Pelicans are because they had the Suns against the ropes and they were beating the hell out of them and then scored seven points in the fourth quarter to lose. <laughs> and then they were down twenty to the Celtics yesterday and battled Came their way back. back. One. And in glorious fashion, dude, they beat the shit out of the Celtics down the stretch. Zion yep. was bullying people, and Tristan Thompson bouncing off him like a fucking bowling pin. <laughs> Zion has had some, uh, he's had some pretty non-poster posters. Like whenever he drives into dudes and just moves yeah. them out of the way. Like he had one on Rashawn Holmes that was when uh, the Pelicans came to town to play the Kings. That was so bad. And this was like a few weeks. This was like two or three weeks ago, but I it's still branded in my head. Zion was just driving left and middle and put his shoulder into Rashawn. And Rashawn was like probably halfway between the free throw line and the and the basket. And next thing you know, Rashawn is sliding all the way through the basket stanchion and not like throwing <laughs> down, sliding into the basket stanchion. He went full speed into the basket stanchion, stanchion and you heard a thud <laughs> after Zion laid it up. I was like, oh, oh my God. God. Like that dude is it? Well, we'll go over all stars later, but uh, yeah. he was definitely one of the uh, guys I uh, considered for reserve, but I won't reveal my list yet. You have to find out. But uh, the Pelicans yeah. are more confusing than ever um like lonzo ball is lonzo ball seems to be uh finally figuring it out um after having a slow start uh brandon ingram is still he's still really good but i have a question for you um what as a duo long term um do you think and zion's gotten better at defense i think we forget sometimes that these people these players are, are 19 20 and 21 so when right. nba film guys start nitpicking already at a 19 year old's defense and like showing clips and all that stuff like we could do that for literally everything it's helpful of course but it gets to a point where the point gets hammered too much and it's almost to a detriment but yes. um, i do so... think defensively long term i don't know about Ingram and Zion as a duo, but offensively, I just think eventually they're just going to have to go with somebody that's not Steven Adams at the five or Zion at the five to truly unlock the offensive potential because it's there and I see it, but they're just so inconsistent. It's kind of wild. 
They're five and five in their last 10. They had two wacky games against the Celtics and the Suns, like you mentioned. And I'm just wondering what the ceiling is for that duo long term. That's all. I, I'm like you. I love their fit offensively. I think if you take, I like the trio of Zion, Ingram, and Lonzo more so than the duo. I think Zion covers up a lot of weaknesses for both of them in terms of just playmaking and, and defense. And I think mm-hmm. like, I think, I think I, I like them as a trio. I think they function really, really well. I think the thing with Zion, I completely agree with you. They're super young. The only concern that I have is the energy level on defense. And yeah. it could be him adjusting and being a little lost and not quite knowing what to where to be and what his spots are. And so that confusion is causing a lack of effort. But like when he was at Duke or even looking at like AAU highlights, like he is flying around the court and he is looking for spots. And again, I don't know if it's something to do with his knees or his injuries or anything like that, but he's not moving laterally or showing any kind of he's not showing the effort that I was seeing from him in college. And like, I didn't, I never thought he was going to be a high level NBA defender, but I thought that he was going to be a high energy guy at the very least. And he's not that. Uh, and again, it, it's, there's a lot of factors that could be taken into account here. And it, I, again, that's just my only concern for him long-term defensively. Uh, I think he's I th- been more active than say compared to his, you know, his very few rookie year games. Cause there were like times where last year where it was like, it was a disaster, but yeah. at least this year he's playing the passing lanes a bit more. He's at least doing more of the activity stuff. Um, I could see him starting to get to places where he's supposed to be, but obviously he's still a bad defender, bad negative yeah. defender overall. I th- I, again, I think um, it comes down to, I think it comes it, down to him just not knowing yeah. where to be and it's the yeah. confusion that's causing him to like be able to be slow to react and not have the, level and that's where the, that that's where the youth comes in. And right. all that. Like, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about that end of the court. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I, I just have questions of Stan Van Gundy too, as a coach myself after, you know, I, well, I think look, I'm starting to see enough. I think I think he's I I do like that Stan made some adjustments. You can see that they're playing a lot faster now. They're playing they're not through playing, Zion through the perimeter. They're playing through more. Zion. Uh, I like I like Lonzo giving it up to Zion very early in the half court and not just posting him up. I think yep. Zion attacking the basket is a lot more dangerous, especially now that Lonzo's consistently hitting his three. I think that that makes their offense really really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the interesting thing here that talking about Steven Adams is you want you need someone that defensively can defend the paint and rebound and kind of body up but you also need someone that spreads the floor so like a Mark Gasol or a Christian Lopez right uh those kind of guys and I don't know because even even Christian Wood because Christian Wood I would want him slashing to the basket but he would that would just take up space for from Zion so I don't necessarily. I just need a. Cone. But he's a four, Christian Woods, a forty percent three point shooter. He pops. Yeah. Too. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm not saying that. I. My thing is, I think that Christian Wood would be more limited next to Zion. I like Christian Wood, where he's at right now in Houston, where I don't know. Like, if you put Christian Wood in the Pelican system, I think that he gets. I think you're wasting Christian Wood's potential at that point with Zion and Ingram. 
more so than you're maximizing his potential. I think your maximum potential there is just having a standing three-point shooter. Like, even someone, someone like a Nicholas Batum on offense, right? Just, like, a cone that's just going to stand there and shoot yeah. threes and space the floor. Because I think that if you have any kind of movement besides Zion and Ingram, where they're both trying to attack the basket, it it creates just a lot more confusion and chaos where you don't. it just packs the paint where you don't need it to be. I just need a guy that stands out there and shoots threes or just spaces the floor. Um, or again, I, I understand that Christian Wood's a great three-point shooter for big. I just don't. I don't want him to cut, and I think that that's a huge strength of his. And I don't want to limit his game. Right? I think. Yeah, he, for the Christian Wood has an underrated kick and slash game now that he's now that because because of that three-point shooting, he regularly yeah. takes bigs off the dribble and stuff like that. Um, if I were to confine Christian Wood to a role, I guess I see what you're saying in terms of limiting Christian Woods. Um effectiveness as a player within himself i just think his skill a skill set of that type where he's basically spacing the floor um occasionally attacking a closeout uh that's that's the type of center i'd like to see next to zion or eventually just put zion at the five um my concern with zion at the five is defensively which is why well they're already terrible defensively (laughs) yeah (laughs) too late for that Uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's I think that's my concern with him defensively is just defensively. I think that you just make him uh, he's like he's like the opposite Draymond Green, where like if you take Draymond Green and invert him, he uh, it just becomes very weird. It, like yeah. you know, what I mean? if you take you, know, you just take all of Draymond's Reverse offense, Draymond. defensive <laughs> defensive savvy, and you put it on offense, and you flip him around. That's basically what Zion is. Yeah, the Pelicans are 29th in, in defensive rating per cleaning the glass. They allow 117.6 oh points per 100 God. possessions, which is a full point behind the Blazers. And you know what? Sacramento is just continuing to stay in the bottom in terms of defensive rating at 119.2 points per 100 possessions. Jesus. Fantastic. So I saw did you see that stat the other day that we've had what is it three of the highest offensive ratings in NBA history uh in this season alone and then like there was three of the worst defensive ratings in NBA history in this season. If that doesn't illustrate the weirdness of this bubble or not this bubble, what am I thinking? That was uh five five months ago. No, if you're talking about this pandemic shortened season um yeah. it's definitely been a weird one that and that kind of highlights it right there yeah and you're starting to see it take some of the toll on some of the teams yep like how weird like lakers come to mind right away uh celtics you're starting to see a little bit of it nuggets yep. started out slow the heat obviously having their injury concerns. celtics suck by the way yeah. outside of jason tatum and jalen brown jesus yeah price is they're, three, they're their three through 12 is terrible kimba looks really hurt and also all of Kimba's games are against bad teams, but whenever they face good teams, he gets shut out pretty easily. Like and but he's night. still taking the same shots he was before. They're just all short. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Now he oh, now Kimba. well now he's having knee issues, which we all know how hard Kimba cuts with his crossovers and his back breaking, you know, step backs yeah. and all that. Um and now he's just becoming less effective with that. It's uh yeah, uh, who knows where the Celtics would be without a Tatum and Brown? Yeah, it's uh, it's quite terrifying. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to bring up was the Nets. The Nets look really, really good. Um, yes, Nets look incredibly strong. 
scary strong. They look like the favorite to come out of the East. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure who's going to stop them. Again, I have faith in the Sixers, in your Sixers, just because of Embiid and how they are defensively. And I think they can slow them down enough. And I don't think they're going to be able to slow down Embiid, but we'll see. Um, see, I, I wonder out. about that still. Now that see, the Nets have now figured out their pecking order, also, yeah. like that's, that's the main thing. And that, I don't know. Maybe I just have more faith in stars than people do when they team up. But I don't know why we do this thing where. We question the fit. We've had our questions about the Nets defensively and all that stuff, right? Yeah. But if you're talking oh, about offensively, was never the issue. It, offensively <laughs> was never the issue, but people act like acted like James Harden was going to short circuit as a player because he's going to play differently than he did in Houston. It's like, no, James Harden is a great player. He's a great passer. He's a great scorer. Like he's played three different types. He's been three different types of players throughout his entire like. He's been a yeah. sixth man in Oklahoma City where he was the point guard when Russell when Westbrook and Kevin Durant were on the court and he was and he was inserted as the sixth man. Um in Houston, he played a pick and roll style offense with Dwight Howard rolling to the basket and shooters and he was leading the league in assists and then he became this isolation step back taking three point draw, foul drawing monster and now he's kind of back to a hybrid of um Okay, like early Harden and early, like early Rocket Harden, Harden yeah. except he's a way better player now. And Kyrie Irving is back to what he does best, which is scoring the basketball. By the way, he's also averaging like five assists and five rebounds a game. And Kevin Durant is the most malleable superstar ever. So I never thought the only thing I guess you could say personalities, maybe. But if great players want to win a championship, I'm they'll figure it out. Yeah, they're probably going to have some hiccups in the road. But right now, James Harden is playing brilliantly and Kyrie Irving is playing brilliantly and Kevin Durant keeps getting you know sidelined with health protocol stuff but he has not missed a beat since his Achilles tear this team is scary and I think even if Embiid let's say you you pencil in Embiid for like 35 and 15 already in the series right my concern still with the Sixers is one if you put Ben Simmons, you have to put Ben Simmons on one of Harden, Durant, or Kyrie. And then if you want to have another stopper in there, you have to put Thibel in there. But he is a offensive liability, and that's being generous yeah. to him. Um, I just think that the Nets still have more firepower than the Sixers. And no matter how good the Sixers' defense is, there's just no defense for guarding Kevin Durant one-on-one -on -one. you could maybe like shut the you could shut the water off on Kyrie a little bit just because of his hit just because he is a smaller player but you ultimately can't stop Kyrie it's going to be impossible to stop James especially with the attention the other two stars get I the Nets are scary man they're they are kicking ass and taking names on this road trip and yeah there are some stars that have been missing because of injuries and all that but a nice road win against the Suns a good win against the, your your Lakers, and then they had a good win without Kevin Durant. By the way, all of these games without Kevin Durant, they had a good uh, they had a good Kings win, and then they had a good um Clippers win, and it was a really good Clippers win yesterday. Paul George and Kawhi were really good in that game yesterday. And I'm so confused about them taking Paul George out because of health concerns. That I'm bone very, very... that 
I imagine it has to be the bone endemia or whatever it's called in his toe because I've looked up what that was and that's supposed to be like a month months long prognosis and he was back already so I have to imagine that had to be injury related that dude was cooking he was yeah. killing them and they took him he was out the best player it, on the floor yeah it so it had to be and that had to be injury related but what do you feel what's your feeling on the nets because I'm looking at them and I'm just like well shit the offense is good if they get a buyout guy, all they have to do is just have like three two-minute stretches every playoff game where they play defense or take defense seriously, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, the only team that the only they're they've moved into second place for me. The only team that I have slightly ahead, of course, is my Lakers because the game that they played, the game that we played them, we had no Schroeder, no yeah. AD. And then the Nets shot 48% from three. And I was like, well, that's a little much. And I was like, okay, well, and we, and we lost by nine. So hmm. you add in, obviously you add back in Durant, you cool off the shooting maybe a little bit. They're not going to shoot 48% from three every game. And then you add it, you give the Lakers back AD and Schroeder. I think that that series is really, really interesting to break down and really interesting to think about. Yeah, I think um, the Lakers so like, without eighty though are, I think they're toast in a potential. Oh yeah, they're gar- no, they are. If they if we don't have AD, we are not making it to the finals. Um, so you know, I I think it all. I remember I saw a highlight. I saw a headline that said AD AD is the key to the NBA right now. Uh, and it kind of is like if AD doesn't, it, depending on AD's health, it kind of determines the entire hierarchy of the rest of the NBA. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, just just in terms of that specific injury to that specific team, he is uh, the he is the other half of that of that great duo, and why they are the finals favorite. And um, I think the Lakers have enough depth. Obviously, I think they have a better um, three through. I think they have a better three through nine rotation than the Nets do. Um, especially, you know, Tyler Johnson's yeah. getting minutes. My guy, Timothy Timothy Luwawu Cabarro. Uh, is finally <laughs> starting to get get some shine. Um, they're playing like they're playing Chris Chioza too, and some of that Durant's gone, but uh, like DeAndre still playing uh, major minutes at center. Jeff Green is uh, hopefully Jeff Green is okay. Looked like he took a nasty cheap yeah, shot, from, sh- shot from Pat Bev yesterday, but uh, he's being relied more to play small ball five. But for me, it just doesn't matter. Be uh, about I mean the flaws don't matter as much to me now that I'm seeing how this big three is clicking. I mean Harden's averaging 25, seven, and eleven right now, and he is shooting 39% from three. His true shooting percentage is 66. Like this dude is this dude is once again this is by far his career high in true shooting percentage. By the way, yeah, and absolutely. it's. It's incredible. The Nets are just really potent offensively, and it's if they continue at this rate, it's going to rival the 2017-18 Warriors just in terms of offensive potency and efficiency. Now, obviously, maybe not the talent because again, four Hall of Famers and all that stuff. But I'm just yeah. talking offensively speaking. This is sublime. Sometimes it comes too easy for them. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous of just watching them on stretches and you go, how does anyone stop them? You just have to hope and pray that they miss shots. Again, and if when... Drummond comes on the buyout market, like that I think that he they could get something out of him if they try. I'm not 
I am not a drumming guy at all, but th- just something at the center position. Yeah. Again, they just need something to slow down or kind of bully around Embiid, uh, Jokic, or AD if they just need, they just need a body to like throw people. You know, it's like the Shaq thing. We just throw bodies at him and hopefully he slows down. Yep. Uh, yep. Because they with with if they pick up another big, they would have whatever big they pick up, DeAndre Jordan and Jeff Green to kind of throw at whatever big they they have, and that that rotation isn't the strongest obviously but it's enough to sort of over the course of a seven gauge series kind of wade the storm as you're shooting and jacking up and and jacking up shots and and hopefully overwhelming them offensively right Mm -hmm. so yep should we uh get to our all-stars yeah do you want to start east or west um i'm going to start with the west first um so for for starters, this or for starters, um, no pun intended, <laughs> but to start out, I want to say that the starters have already been selected and uh, but they are not well, they all kind of match, except I have one discrepancy here. Okay, I'm sorry, there's no way. And Luka Doncic is an all star, he should be a reserve, but he should not be starting over oh, Damian Steph. Lillard. Oh, over, Dam- over Damian Lillard, okay. First okay. of all, Damian Lillard should be he's third on my MVP right MVP rankings right now. He has shot up the list. The Blazers are 8 and 10 in their last 10 games. They're missing CJ McCollum, they're missing Yusuf Nurkic, they're missing Zach Collins once again. Harry Giles is their second best big. They're having to play they having to play Derek Jones at power forward. They have to play Ennis Cantor at center a lot. Um is basically as Zach Lowe said it best, Dame Lillard is carrying this Blazers team with duct tape, and I would add bubble gum, gorilla glue, whatever else you want to add or do to put to or analogy you want to use. Dame Lillard has been carrying this team with so much adversity. The Blazers are 18 and 10. They are <clears throat> they're fifth in the the well, they're basically tied with the Suns between the fourth and the fifth seed right now. And I'm sorry, like Luka Doncic, like he he's been playing better as of late. The Mavs started out slow. Some of that is not on him, although he is part of the reason why he has not. He is still a superstar, but he has not taken the leap this year. His numbers are down. Um, the Mavs' offense stinks. He uh, is also part of, part of the their problem defensively. And while they have been playing better lately, they are still playing 500 basketball. So. Anybody been playing better? They just haven't been getting stomped um, by people like they were earlier in the season. Dame Lillard the whole time. The Blazers have been be- being kept afloat. Also have a terrible defense, by the way. The Blazers are 28th in defensive rating per cleaning the glass. They're actually a spot behind the Mavericks. They're the Mavericks are 27th and the Blazers 28th. And Dame Lillard somehow made Blazers at the top. They they average 117.7 points per 100 possessions per cleaning the glass. They're fifth. And Damian Lillard is averaging um 37 and uh 37 and four and a half rebounds on damn near 38% shooting on 11 attempts per game. 
He's been spectacular. I'm sorry, Luka Doncic should not be the starter. It should have been Dame. So I have Dame there. I have Steph. I have Kawhi. I have LeBron and Jokic. And those starters are pretty simple to me. Then for the reserves, I have Luka. I have Paul George. I have CP3. CP3 to me was, I think he was a lot of people's locks, but CP3 has to be on there. If he is not on that team, the Suns are not where they are. CP3 is also, we talk about LeBron being a freak and how crazy it is that he's playing at this age the fact that a little point guard is still this good in in year 16 is bonkers we should be talking about that more chris paul has been awesome and then i have donovan mitchell and rudy gobert anthony davis and then zion williamson gonna gonna put zion williamson i wanted to I wanted to uh, consider Ingram, De'Aaron Fox. There were a few others. If Look at the season De'Aaron Fox is having in Sacramento. He's been one of the best point guards in the league, although the team has been bad. Luke Walton is a terrible coach, doesn't know how <laughs> to put together a rotation to save his life. The Kings will win seven games in a row, and then they'll get their asses stomped in seven in a row. Um, but De'Aaron Fox has been the one constant, along with Halliburton and uh little bit of Bagley, too. He's been playing well, too. But De'Aaron Fox was another consideration I had. But Zion ultimately took the last wild card spot for my reserves. But those are my 12 right now. And Dame should be the starter, not Luka. Yeah, I have the same 12. Uh, the only one that was sort of on the fence. Oh, this is going to be a boring podcast. <laughs> well, to, to me, the, the only one that was on the fence for me was Chris Paul. I was deciding between Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Uh, obviously, I think Chris Paul deserves it more. I think he's more important to that team. I think Devin Booker's having a great year that a lot of people haven't noticed yet. He had a uh, slow start, but he's get, he's playing better. Yeah, than Booker is. Uh, I also was I was looking at Bi and Christian Wood too. Christian Wood not so much because he's been injured and he's been hurt quite yeah. a bit. Um, but yeah, Brandon Ingram would just missed out as well. But I had Zion in there. Uh, I think that people haven't realized yet. Like I've I've seen a lot of posts that like, hey, Zion doesn't look as as athletic or he doesn't look as explosive. I think we've and talked it, about this too. And yeah, <laughs> and I think I think that's such a thing where he's slowing down, he's learning where to pick his spots because he's very mm. explosive when he want when he needs to be, um, but he doesn't always need to go all out all the time. And I think he's learning that as a young player. And it, what was that tweet Rastillo had uh, about Zion? Once Zion gets catches the ball and gets going, it's like one of the five most fun things to watch in the NBA. Oh, like, absolutely. It's so insane how he moves. I talk about it. We talk about it all the time, probably on this podcast too much, but rightfully so Zion, whenever he gets going and does like that, he does the one hesitation move then starts his dribble and just shifts between tight cracks at like 270 <laughs> like yeah. it's and nuts. then rises up like randy moss and tries like, to slam it, it on someone it's, oh wow randy moss I, I stay watching randy moss highlights i stay randy watching moss. Yeah. randy moss had a 40 inch vertical man he was six five <laughs> randy moss ran like a four two forty two. that dude was <laughs> he he earned that nickname the freak and zion yeah. is the nba's version of that um he's his rim numbers like are already like comparable to like a baby Shaq, and he he's already he has a career sixty four true shooting percentage at what is it twenty years old hasn't even played sixty NBA games yet it's crazy it's Zion has been spectacular this year so I have to put him in there yeah 
and again, I, I think that people came in with like these high expectations and, and Zion has matched them and been very, very good. I just think that people had unrealistic expectations for him and what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, he has had an amazing year. So, um, basketball reference has his nickname as Xanos. <laughs> it's pretty good. I have never heard that, but sure. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, my new, my, my new favorite nickname, uh, that that's been going around is the, the Airbnb for, uh, LaMelo and Miles, oh, Bridges. And Miles Bridges. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that too. I think we could, we'll have to stick with that for now, but I think we could come up with, something a little bit better for for that because i think Lamelo's going to be too good of a player especially if he gets his if that three-point shot starts becoming more and more real and he becomes more of an impact player we're gonna have to come up with something different yeah definitely uh i i still like the air ball stuff but uh <laughs> but uh you know that that's kind of belongs to lonzo at this point but the the thing that was funny where uh i forget what we're, what were we talking about uh, Mello. right so i don't know if you saw their gilbert arenas had nick young on his podcast uh, a couple days ago and uh they were talking oh, and did nick, he? yeah nick brought and they have such great chemistry right they're teammates for a while and, and you know, friends, good friends all that yeah and so nick brought up this idea that Lamelo is top 10 right now in the league no in in terms of oh top ten point guards sorry top ten point guards I was like I, I sorry I almost no, no, sorry. my I like, brain almost broke no. right sorry, there sorry, sorry. top ten it was like my Jalen he... Brown T Mac yeah. moment last week yeah yeah no, I completely <laughs> flubbed that my bad but yeah the top ten <laughs> top ten point guards in the league and I thought about it and I was like he might be he's close he's really close okay so let's think about this um before... and I'm and I'm talking about guy. So obviously you could throw LeBron and Luca and stuff in there. I don't. I I'm only considering guys that are listed and like are point guards. So like okay. like Ben Simmons is listed as a point. He is a point guard. He's listed as a point guard. I would take Ben over Lamelo right, right. now. So um, so look, James so, Harden. Okay. So look, I had I had Harden. I had okay. Curry. I okay. had Dame. Mm-hmm. I had Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else did I have? I had uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but uh, who else did I have? Uh, I had uh, shit. I don't even remember who else I had. De'Aaron Fox, I would take over Lamelo. Also. See, De'Aaron Fox is like on the fence for me. Like I, I put them around the same level. No, De'Aaron point. Fox has been be- as if you're talking. Are you talking about taking them right now? Yeah, like in a game, like you need you need a point guard for a game, and who are you taking? I'm taking De'Aaron Fox. He's he's a better he's been the better play. He's been a borderline all star this year. Like if you're talking about down the road, sure, I could see I don't that. Know, man, like because Lamelo, but... the thing with Lamelo is he is this to me. It comes down to the size and the vision, and like he has had some like some of the games I've watched of Lamelo, I don't know what he could do better. Um, De'Aaron Fox is a better defender than LaMelo. Um, yeah, definitely, for sure. Also, De'Aaron Fox is, while he's not the passer or has the vision that uh, LaMelo has and maybe the ceiling of his passing, he's still averaging seven assists per game. He's still averaging 
22 on high efficiency. He's been one of the best point guards in the league this year. It's just the team is obviously bad. And like I said, Luke Walton doesn't really do the Kings any justice, but I'm, no, I'm not taking, <laughs> I'm not taking Fox okay, or I'm not taking okay, so fair, so fair, fair. You put, you put him, you fine. You put him in there. Then Chris Paul, right? So that's five. Yeah, Chris Paul. Yep. That's five. Then who else? Uh, Trey. You putting Trey in there? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, who else? SGA. Uh, okay. SGA. That's seven. And like, it starts to get tougher, right? It does. It does. I will give you. I will give you that. Like um, when, when you when said when first... you changed it when you changed it to top ten point guards, I I eased up a bit more because when you well, came in the... with the top ten, I was like, it's you came with 10. a stone cold elbow yeah. <laughs> to my head. No, so, I was like, what? So so when Nick said it, I kind of I had the same reaction of like, whoa, okay, hold on, that's a little fast. And I thought about all the point guards I was going through in my head, and I was like, also okay, like John Morant, maybe John Morant, Joe. Uh, Jamal Murray. See, Jamal yeah. Murray to me is like, because eh, I think Jamal Murray's a little eh. too inconsistent. Jamal Murray's been disappointing this year, too. Yeah. Also, he's not a point guard. Jokic is the point guard, pretty much. This is true. <laughs> this is um, true. What about resurgent Mike Conley? So we have eight already. So, yeah, so um, Mike Conley is is iffy to me. Like, yeah. So so to me, around the LaMelo area is where it gets iffy, is where it's like the Westbrooks or the John Walls or the Mike Conleys. Where I'm like, I might take Lamelo. Yeah, and I wouldn't. Yeah, especially the whole at the stage in their career type stuff. Like, if you look at part of Mike Conley's resurgence, also a lot of his minutes are tied to Gobert, and yeah. Gobert is one of the most screen sets the most bone crunching screens and frees frees up the most space for guards probably out of any center in the league. And so Mike Conley has seen a nice Memphis like resurgence. I think he's still a good player. I just wonder how much of it is now he's playing with a really great team, um, which yeah. is also why I didn't consider Mike Conley for All-Star, although I love Mike Conley. Like I said, Grit and Grind Grizzlies is always one of my underrated favorite teams of the 2010 decade. I'm so sad but, that Mike Conley never made an All-Star team because he well, deserved like the, it so well. He's so it's like the LeBron thing, team. right? You know how people say like LeBron should win MVP every year? Like, I wanted Mike Conley to make an all-star team. There was probably like a year in Memphis where probably like the 2017-18 season, I believe it was, where he had a break. He had like a really great career year. He probably had a shot, but like it's the West is just historic. Yeah, the West is tough. stacked. Like yeah. it's stacked. Like go back and tell me who you're going to – If you, I will hear the case for Conley in any year where he got snubbed. Just tell me who you're taking out. That's all I'm saying. And that's just yeah. like what I'm saying with the LeBron thing. Like if you thought he should have won MVP in like 20 – whatever tell me which year you thought he should have won it if he should win every mvp all the time like yeah but uh yeah so um yeah no the lamello top 10 point guard thing that doesn't sound too crazy once you uh once you once map you it out like, and it, i'm glad we sounds, mapped it out on the podcast yeah because it sounds like blasphemous right mm -hmm. and then and then you think about it and you're like man it's a lot like if he's not top 10 he's like 12 or 11 yeah yeah, like he's he, there. <laughs> he's uh, yeah, he's already uh up there. Um, but uh, speaking, of, let's uh stay in the East then because we still got the East starters. Yeah, to, uh, so let's the so East All Star team East. to go over. The, the um, East is more interesting to me. There's a lot of guys, especially in the front court, that I think like the front court's a little stacked. But, yeah, uh, 
And I have Go. a lot of uh, duos in this in this one because I think it's well deserved, especially for the top three teams in the East. But for my starters, you could argue this one. You could argue if you wanted to penalize James Harden for the stuff that he did in Houston, I'm not going to hold that against you. I personally, while I do think it was shitty and all that stuff, it doesn't really matter to me in terms of all-star selection um that much but if you want to hold it against him fine but i have harden i have bradley beal get my boy beal out of washington please um and then the three easy ones durant Giannis, and Embiid. those are all pretty simple um then in my reserves of course i have jalen brown i have jason tatum and you know this was this this was also kind of before the Celtics started slumping like this recently. But if it wasn't for those two, these the uh, the Celtics would be up Shit's Creek without a paddle, and um, they're basically that's their entire team right now. Look at the supporting yeah. cast they the have. The Celtics the Celtics are extremely lucky that Jalen Brown has taken the leap that he has. Yeah, because if he didn't, they I don't know what they would be. They'd, they'd be, be asking Jason Tatum spot. to do way too much. We he might. The Kobe jokes were already starting to form with Tatum, but then we would we really would have had some Jason Tatum Kobe type jokes because they would have had, relied on him way too much. But yeah. Jalen Brown took the prerequisite leap. Uh, his defense has kind of taken a step back, but I think that's fine when you look at the offensive season he's had and what yeah, he's had to carry. It, like you take the trade offs, and so I have Brown, I have Tatum, Bam Adebayo is. Uh, one of my front courts for the wild card. Bam Adebayo has been spectacular. Um, it's kind of funny. I had a one of my Blue Wire Hustle colleagues, uh, Jalal Sandy, on my other podcast to talk about his Miami Heat. One, I felt really old because he's a 22-year-old who became a Heat fan because he saw Dwayne Wade as a kid. And I'm thinking about what my hero was. When I was that age, I saw Allen Iverson. So I was like, oh, great, <laughs> dated myself. But um, Bam Adebayo could be even be more aggressive than what he already is. And I'm saying that, and he's averaging 20, 10, and five and a half um, on very high efficiency. Yeah. The Heat have unfortunately been snake bitten by the whole health protocols and coronavirus early on in the year, but Bam has been the one constant. Averaging those numbers that I said on a 63% true shooting percentage, he's finally starting to expand on the touch that he's always had around the basket in the intermediate area. Last year, he started taking a bit more foul line jumpers. Now he is basically doing dribble pull-up moves. Um, and it's been awesome to watch. Chris Middleton is also my next front court player. To me, Chris Middleton was a lock. Um, the Bucks are kind of top-heavy like the Celtics are now. Uh, Bobby Portis has been good for the Bucks off the bench, but really outside of that, it's been Chris, Giannis, and Drew Holiday. Chris Middleton, once again, is having a 50-40-90 season. He is their team's crunch time scorer and playmaker, initiator. Um, when it's when it comes to nut-cutting time in the game, he's averaging 26-6 and six on very high efficiency. And the Bucks are the third best team in the East because of him. And then, after having a slow start, after me griping on this podcast for a few weeks about how I hated his offensive approach, Benjamin Simmons is my wild card. And <laughs> if anybody has watched um, Kevin O'Connor's recent Void video about Ben Simmons, yeah, 
he basically said that Ben Simmons is playing the best basketball of his career. And I agree with him in a lot of ways. Um, so Ben Simmons, while his scoring is down this year, the last month he has been basically since the James Harden trade, when he found out he wasn't going to get traded, right? And it, I think it kind of correlates. He's been back to his normal 18, 8, and 7. He's been a great, he was been a great defender all year. That side of the floor was never in question to me. But I always hated his offensive approach to start the year. He would drive aimlessly, not kick it. He would drive aimlessly and kick it out without even looking at the basket. Um, you know, not still not taking three pointers, although I have given up on that at this point. I just want him attacking the rim and getting to the free throw line. And that's exactly what he's been doing. He had a career-high 42 against the Utah Jazz a week ago, and it was a legit 42. Like, Rudy Gobert could not stop that man. Nobody on the Jazz could stop that man. And when Ben is attacking like that, it's scary. He's shooting a career-high 67% at the foul line, taking a career-high in attempts, which is what I want him to do with his size and his handle, his get to the rim. And he's been one of the three best defenders in the NBA this year. If you put him on somebody, he will erase that team's best player. He erased Damian Lillard so bad on a TNT a few weeks ago that it was staggering just watching it. Damian went off in the first half, and then Ben just came out and said no and shut him down in the second half. And that's why I have him as my all-star. He's been great this year, um, especially in the last month, month and a half. Zach Levine. I think it's time we change our – it's starting to finally happen. We have started to change our previous stances on Zach Levine over the years, but the guy is averaging 29 thir- – the guy is averaging 29, 5, and 5, also on high efficiency. And he's just – he's been spectacular for the Bulls this year. And to me, he's a well-deserving all-star, 65% true shooting percentage. And then the last one was the tough one. Do I go with Kyrie? Do I go with Domas or do I go with Julius Randle? And I was battling back and forth. And I'm going to reward Julius Randle. And I know that sounds insane that I'm picking him over Kyrie. I just think that the fact that the Knicks are the seventh seed in the playoffs right now and Julius Randle is averaging 22-11-5 on near 40% shooting from three, Tibbs has kind of awakened some of the defensive stuff that you saw when he was a Laker. Yeah. Julius Randle to me has been awesome. And you could totally scream at me for not having Kyrie in there. That's totally fair. I'll take that. But Julius Randle to me has been a revelation this year. And if he keeps this up, he will make an all NBA team. Like he will. He's been doing all NBA stuff. And I think he's been an all-star this year. And uh, it was a tough one, but I'm going with Julius Randle. Yep, I have pretty much the same list. I don't have Levine. I have Kyrie over Levine. I completely understand your your stuff with uh, with Levine, and I love him too. I think UCLA kid, obviously. The only thing about Kyrie is that he's missed a lot of games. Uh, yeah, that's kind much. of why I didn't have him there. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, so that's my only reason maybe why I would take him out. Um, I also have Sabonis over Middleton, uh, but... Again, these are all like I don't I don't think our list very uh very too much. Uh I think we all have kind of the same the same list there. Um I do want to shout out Nikola Vucevic, who's having yes a, yep. a another amazing year. 
Uh, Meanwhile, dealing... Orlando is dealing with 5,000 fucking injuries. Um, yeah. And their <laughs> team is terrible. And Vooch is over here averaging 24, 11, and 3 on damn near um, 50 on a 57 true shooting percentage. <laughs> yeah. He's playing amazing. Uh, shout out to Vooch, UC- USC kid. Uh, <laughs> yep. But. Uh... You got to keep the LA, the LA, the yeah, LA you got to keep the LA shout outs going, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I think, I think he's deserving, but I don't think there's enough spots. And I, I think that the team performance is, is what's hurting him there. Mm. Um, but yeah, I have, I have Sabonis and Randall, uh, or I have Sabonis, uh, yeah, I have Sabonis and Kyrie instead of, uh, Middleton and Kyrie or uh, Levine, but otherwise our lists are exactly the same. R- the riveting, riveting uh, podcast. And I was hoping for some discrepancy. <laughs> well, the thing um, is, like, I'm interested. So, okay, let me let me ask you. Here. Let me ask you this: um, Why Sabonis over Chris? Because I think Chris Middleton is a definite lock. I love I loved what Sabonis did to start the year, but that team has tailed off, and Sabonis and Brogdon have tailed off. Now the Pacers have also dealt with some injuries and all that. I want to be fair, um, but to me, Chris has been. I know Giannis has been the best player, obviously, but yeah, Chris think, has been their second best player with a bullet, and he's a crunch so time I, guy too. I think I think there's I put a lot of weight on like you being the number one guy has a lot of weight to me, and it's the guy that's leading okay. your team and carrying your team. I put a lot of weight on that. Uh, and again, Sabonis is Sabonis is averaging I think twenty two and twelve or mm-hmm. around there. Uh, career highs and assists, blocks, steals. He's playing great defense. Uh, Pacers have a, have are playing. They were playing really, really well. I think I do like the consistency as well. Uh, I think he's had like twenty four, twenty five triple or double doubles already. Uh, and so to me, it's the consistency. It's that he's leading that Pacers team. Uh, where Chris Middleton, being a second guy, you can have nights like he does have nights where he doesn't play as well. I don't think he's as consistent as Sabonis, and because he doesn't have to be. Because I think the the Bucks are, are good enough to win games without him. Uh, obviously, you know they're, if they're playing a good team, that he, he has to show up. But um, I, I just think I put a lot of weight on like the guy carrying the load. And if you're doing this level of uh, performance, like to me, it's easier to perform when you, when the weight of the world isn't on your shoulders, right? Uh, so I, yeah. I do put a lot of weight on that. Obviously, okay. it's different for like superstar guys, but like when you're talking about like the second tier star guys, I think I think I put a lot of weight on that. Yeah, I think for me, I just put <clears throat> he is. I think Middleton is the Bucks' best perimeter creator, and the Bucks are also eighteen and thirteen. That's also the yeah. other reason too. And I don't factor in wins as much when it comes to all stars, so I'm not even. It's not even a gripe with your pick necessarily. Although I would still pick Middleton, but um they he is Again, I don't I want to I want to yeah. specify I don't think there are wrong answers. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Like, it's not That's like what I, are... yeah. I don't have it like I said, I don't have any I I don't have I would I'm just telling you why I would pick Middleton. No, yeah, totally. I totally yeah. And uh but uh the Bucks are eighteen and three and Middleton is a big part of it. Um but you know we only had two discrepancies and Zach Levine over uh, Zach, the Zach Levine Kyrie thing. That's that's understandable. Um, I wouldn't. I didn't mind that. You know, Brooklyn's probably going to have three three All Stars uh, going into this All Star game, and I wouldn't mind that at all. But um, 
yeah, uh, those are those are the All Star starters. Uh, there there were quite a bit more um, reserve candidates in the East than say you know in the West. Um, but those are you you know you could have considered Jimmy Butler, Trey Young made last year's All Star team. He's not even in consideration for this. Atlanta's been weird all season. They've Bogdan Bogdanovich has also been hurt. DeAndre Hunter was a monster to start the year, but he's been hurt as well. Clint Capella has somehow turned into Bill Russell and Ben Wallace and one with averaging this insane double double. But um, the only one who should be coming from that cream of the crap in the at the bottom in the East is Beal to me. Beal should be the only guy out of that pile to rise up and be an all star. So. Yeah, no, I, our our lists are pretty solid. Yeah, uh, again, like there's a lot of guys in the East. Like, like you brought up Jimmy Butler, and I think that that's mainly due to the injuries. I think I guarantee yep. he would have probably been an All Star if he yeah was healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do want to bring up Gordon Hayward and Jimmy Gordon Grant. Hayward too. Uh, Gordon Hayward and and Jimmy Grant who are having amazing years. Oh, is this I- our prop segment? <laughs> oh, do you want to have our prop segment? We can have our prop segment. Yeah, let's uh, get let's. What we've been saying, we'd be we'd do this for a few weeks. We should do it yeah. now. So, uh, I want to apologize to. I'm not going to apologize for saying stuff, but I do want to give them props. For yeah, saying for we really gave Jeremy Grant and Gordon Haywood a ton of shit for, yep. and and plus, and we you know, when the, we're wrong, we'll eat crow. You know, yeah, I am, yeah. I am not opposed to the flavor of crow. Yeah, uh, I, you know, we also gave the Hornets and the Pistons a ton of shit for signing them and giving them all this money. Yep. And uh, yeah, we it's are working out. <laughs> it's working out for both of them really, really well. The Celtics and, uh, fans have to be sick to their stomach with Gordon yeah. Hayward. Uh, he's basically averaging the same numbers he averaged in his lone All Star season in Utah, which was the reason the Celtics signed him to that max contract in the first place. And got no return. <laughs> and got no return. Hayward's averaging 22, five and a half, nearly four assists, 43% shooting from three, which is by far a career high. And his true shooting is also at a career high at six, at 59.8, basically 60. Uh, he's been awesome this year. And uh, I still wouldn't say he's worth that full 100. Well, no, I now it just sounds like I'm going to capitulate and do uh and, uh, you know, nitpick and all that but he's been worth the contract he, he's been he's been worth it mostly i still wouldn't pay him 100 mil but he's definitely showing that he was worth worth the deal so far yeah absolutely and then jeremy grant um i bought it the thing is i've always liked grant as a player but as i had a specific role in mind for him and what is it the three and d role right like yeah. when he signed the contract with the pistons me and you were just like what and then when we it found out there were reports that came out that the Nuggets matched the offer, but Grant declined because he wanted more of a ball handling opportunity. We were we were then double like what? What? Yeah. And he's been great. Um his his off the dribble game is something that's really been shocking to me. I actually I did a video on Jeremy Grant. You could check it out on the Sly Hooper YouTube channel. Um, but he's averaging twenty three and a half, five and three. He's shooting 38% from three on high volume. He's taking tough threes. Like he's he and he's still, you know, 
being impactful defensively, although they're on a bad team. That team's going to be terrible for a bit. Um, they found something with Jeremy Grant. And uh, I think it just goes to show that you always... I think one of the things that does go missing when it comes to scouting is, um, especially nowadays, since we can analyze everything and comb everything over with a fine-tooth comb, right? And, uh, you know, break it down to its intricacies. Sometimes we forget the human element stuff. And Jeremy Grant has always had a great work ethic. Uh, it was definitely like that the year the year he got drafted by uh, the Process Sixers. Uh, that was one thing that was very apparent. He's very dedicated to his craft, always wanting to get better. And it sounds like a human cliche all the time, but work ethic does matter. That is why I was wrong on Colin Sexton. This is why I was wrong on a few people. Well, there's a lot of reasons why I'm wrong about a lot of shit, but I was definitely <laughs> wrong on uh, Jeremy Grant in terms of him being this. Um, whether now is definitely not saying anything if Jeremy Grant's the best player on your team because look at where the Pistons are, but it's not a, it's an efficient, it's an efficient uh, stat line that I will not call a good stats, bad team stat line like Bill Simmons throws around ca casually because I think bad stats, good team or good stats, bad team guys, usually that comes with inefficiency and definite, definite deficiencies. And Grant hasn't shown that to me. He does have his deficiencies still as a player, but he's worked on them. He's gotten better. And now look where he is. Yeah. That's definitely the case. And I do want to bring this up too, because I feel like people, I feel like this is a thing that gets brought up a lot. And people, and, and I, I completely disagree with it. It's the idea that when something happens, like say, I, I it happened last year with, with the playoff Rondo stuff, right? Where it's like, oh, everyone, mm -hmm. everyone better apologize to playoff Rondo. I don't have to apologize because what I said at the time was still true. You can prove me wrong. Yeah. And I will give you props for proving me wrong. But I do not have to apologize for being wrong because I was not wrong at the time. Also, you're giving in a you're giving a basketball opinion. Like this ain't life or death where you have to apologize for shit. No. Like I would just do the I would like to apologize to absolutely fucking nobody. <laughs> I would just say, I would just say that. <laughs> like Yeah. But you know, you know what I'm saying though? Like I I feel like people are like, well, you better you better apologize to, to whatever. And I was like, no. Because I was right at the time. <laughs> no. I was not I don't, I don't I was... think I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was like, I was right at the time. Like it doesn't make sense to me to apologize if I was correct at the time. Don't like Yeah. Okay, so um little podcast technical difficulties there well you know we we are professionals here at the bob but uh so yeah so basically i walked away from my group of friends and i was walking to my next class it was the end of lunch and these three kids walked up to me and uh basically it was uh i didn't i guess i had, now recording i guess i okay. had a uh, i i guess i had said something that I didn't even know. I said something about a person, and I didn't hadn't even met the person before. And so that person walked up to me with two of his friends, and basically it was like, "Oh, I heard what you." What are you going to do? Yeah, he's like, "I heard you were saying this and this," and he had a reputation for fighting, but I didn't know it at the time, apparently. And he was like, "You better apologize," and I was like, "What?" 
And he was like, he looked at me, he's like, you better apologize. And I looked at him and I said, fuck you. And I walked away. <laughs> and he just stood there. Like, I just saw him and uh, it was him and the mutual friend that me and him knew and another dude were just standing there just looking. And I just walked to my biology class. <laughs> I was like, you don't demand an apology for me. That's like the one way you're not getting an apology out of me. Like just in general, that whole principle of demanding an apology for something innocuous, like a basketball opinion or whatever. If it warrants it, obviously, you know, or you fucked up and it's like, okay, yeah, that's my bad. But stuff like that, petty stuff like that. Nah, I'm good. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting occurrence. And I was like, I don't understand like, plus, play, plus regular season Rondo's been bad for a few years now. Like, it's not just, it's not like it's a, you know. Yeah, it's not like this thing. is a new thing. This isn't new. <laughs> I don't know what the, like, okay, yeah, cool. He showed up for the playoffs. I, I guess I could take that. I would rather have a player who shows up in the playoffs. But, damn, he was frustrating all regular season. What do you want me to say? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Ain't nothing but a thing. <laughs> yep, but um, it's it the voting for these All Star teams is also kind of weird because usually by the time All Star comes around, it's like what 50, 50 games. We're already fifty games in. This year it was like thirty. It's basically thirty, thirty two, and so you kind of had to pick them early. But uh, I feel pretty good about uh my all-star my all-star teams um real quickly you know anthony davis obviously the injury is huge um before we go what do you feel about how are you feeling about your lakers being able to stay afloat while no not stay afloat because you guys have lebron but without anthony davis for a bit for the defending champions what are you looking for how is the schedule outlook? How are you feeling? Um, obviously, I think once the Lakers, if the Lake, well, if the Lakers, the Lakers are going to make the playoffs. And once they're in, I'm pretty much taking them over the field. But Anthony Davis's health is a serious concern. I was kind of concerned when he came back. Um, I thought he came back a little too early. And then the Nuggets game, it kind of looked like, yeah, I thought it was kind of bad. He was walking really like with a bad limp, but thankfully it wasn't as bad you know, devastating as the MRI showed. But what are you feeling right now? What's your Lakers temperature? Uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident. I think there is, I have full trust in our medical staff. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know how, how much you know about kind of like inside the NBA medical staff stuff. Um, but there's a lot of we have a Probably lot of contingency. Yeah, so th- we have a lot of contingency plans uh, in terms of just like AD has to go through three to four different individuals to get approved mm-hmm. uh, to come back. So I'm very excited about you know not excited, but I'm very happy that all of that uh, you know is happening. So he needs so just for anyone listening that is interested or wants to know uh ad has to go through uh ad and lebron each have their own individual person that works with them obviously 
and and their main obviously their main focus is to work with AD and LeBron. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after that, then those two trainers answer to Nina Nina Say, who's the uh, she's a great athletic trainer, one of the best in the league. Um, there's one a couple of awards and stuff like that for for that stuff. Uh, and then she then she answers to Judy Seto. And Judy Seto is the person that Kobe credits for his career and like yep. his longevity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's just a lot of checks and balances where it makes me confident that they're going to be able, they're going to be just fine. I have to tell uh, you as a Sixer fan who has dealt with a lot of medical fiascos and just terrible medical PR from an injury PR standpoint, this this whole process, I don't know what it's like with well, checks and balances. What is that? You mean you just don't decide randomly when to sit or, or rest <laughs> in bead or play rookie in bead on a torn meniscus, even though you knew he had a torn meniscus, but you wanted to play him for national TV. <laughs> like it, that that sounds great. A three a three four step process with checks and balances and four five different people you have to talk to. That sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, man. It's uh, it's the way the NBA works. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Colangelo's. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, did you see Draymond Green has also kind of been a – just a random aside, Draymond Green has kind of been on one also the last uh, yeah. few weeks. I don't know if how you've seen you, that. Yeah, how do you feel about these comments? I think, I think it's – it's hilarious because he should know better, but like jacking up a three, like a half court three with seven oh, seconds yeah. left on the Oh, you're court, talking about like <laughs> the, yeah. when you he, had uh... Steph. Even the Warriors announcers, who I I'm not a big fan of the Warriors broadcast crew, but even uh, Kalina Azabuki, the color commentator, was just like, "What?" Like he he just said it, like just naturally, like what? <laughs> like what kind of <laughs> shot was that? And then in the Hornets game over the weekend. Draymond Green gets two technicals when the Warriors are up 100, 100 to 98 with like the 15 seconds or whatever it is left. And then Terry Rozier hits the game winning three later after the technicals. Like, it's, I don't know what Draymond is doing, but I'm telling you, um, the Warriors should be having a, quite a bit more wins. And if that team wasn't so putrid in a lot of areas... Or for some reason, the Warriors' three-time champion and future Hall of Famer just having massive brain farts like that. Like, this is a pretty amazing Steph Curry season, and it's kind of being ruined by being Draymond ruined Green, by <laughs> Draymond Green and Kelly Oubre bricking shots, and Eric Paschal getting demolished at small ball center, and all this stuff. Like, Steph is literally putting up numbers that are identical almost to a T with his unanimous MVP season. And this is, and the difference between and people will say, well, why why isn't he in the MVP conversation now? Well, because the scoring's higher and there are <clears throat> the scoring's higher and there are the in terms of the West at least, from like four through twelve, it's been jumbled up like crazy. Um it's just, and also Steph just has worse teammates. Like that's the other that's the easy thing to point out. But yeah, Steph, Steph is having a fantastic year and is you know so much for that legacy season. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I again, I I think that there's a lot of 
yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff you can take away from this season of like a lot of this season's weird. Mm-hmm. And of uh, but yeah, I think I think I, I've had a lot of fun with this season so far. I think it's super interesting. To yeah, look teams at. are on the upswing too. Like um, the Raptors started out two and eight, and we were like, "Is that a potential K team?" Now they're back on the upside. Um, they just beat the Sixers yesterday, but Nick Nurse to me is one of the best coaches in the NBA. Um, or I totally agree. Not with that. one of the best coaches. I wanted to say the best because I think he's so creative. And notice, well, the Heat have kind of introduced this first with Eric Spolstra using the zone, but Nick Nurse has like brought different varieties of zone. He's finding players from Diamond in the Roughs. Chris Boucher is this sniping seven foot, one hundred and thirty pound, soaking wet sniper. <laughs> um, um, I mean, OG Ananobi's taking another step. Pascal Siakam's finally figured it out. Kyle Lowry might be on the trading block though, but Freddie Freddie Van Fleet he's been a beast this year as well. And um, I have to tell you, the one thing that's impressive about the Raptors is their ability to. I like their ability to protect the rim and then at the same time recover and scramble. Like yesterday, they were literally throwing five guys at Embiid every time he touched the ball. And every time Embiid, he made the right read. He passed it out of the double team. It was a combination of the Sixers bricking their open threes, but the Raptors just recover so fast. It's it's crazy. Um, they they it's well known they like to leave the corner three open. That's part of their defensive scheme. Um, so the Sixers were definitely missing a fair share of their corner threes, but they also got spooked by the Raptors' length. And every time Embiid put the ball on the floor, there was like six limbs in there jarring the ball loose. Like the Raptors are finally uh finding their stride, and it's one of those things where if you're one of the top three seeds in the East. You better stay there, cause you you better and you better stay there, and you better hope the Raptors don't drop below five, because that is a that's a tough out for anybody. Yeah, and this, so that that's a team that I want to bring up, and this is something I want to bring up when I talked about the Nets. Was we've seen now with the Celtics and with the uh, with the Clippers that the individual defender locking down man to man thing doesn't work mm-hmm. as great as defenders that you have there's too much talent on the floor and like obviously great offense is going to be great defense almost every time. The thing that you have to rely on is teams that have really good defensive schemes and rotations. The Lakers are actually doing a fantastic job of contesting and getting out there in rotations and, and getting back to their man very quickly. The only thing was that the nets were hitting all of their contested shots. Yeah. Uh, they weren't the shots they were, they were making weren't, wide open like they were against the Clippers or against the Celtics and like I think that even you have teams like the Raptors or you know even you know a team like the Raptors or um I don't know the team in mind I can't think of it right now but uh you know teams teams that just have very good and solid defensive schemes mm-hmm. that can that don't rely on individual defense and, and shutting down a man but like you can really lock down like, like I think the, the Bucks do the Heat, the Heat, the Bucks. I think like all of those teams that have great rotationary pieces, where everyone understands their role and they're playing as a unit. I think that that's how you stop and slow down the Nets, and that's the teams that are going to give them trouble. I think teams with individual great defenders and that rely on those, I think, are going to struggle and have a hard time. But uh, yeah, I think I think if the if the Nets run into a team like the Raptors or the Heat later, like early in playoffs, I think that that's a tough out. 
Yeah, that's a, definitely a battle-tested series. Um, and I think time... especially especially my <clears throat> especially Miami and and the Raptors just because of the the size too with Siakam and Bam. I think that that gives them trouble. Yeah, um, I don't think it's as much trouble because as even though Bam and uh, Siakam they are bigs. I think Siakam's more on the skinnier like side. Um, Bam yeah. is probably the one that would be most physical, but he's still like six nine two solid two thirty two four. 235 240 but he's not like Embiid or Giannis where a couple of shoulders or just physically just move people out of the way um or like Jokic but they those two would still be a tough out in the time I was uh in the time you were talking about defenses um the best defensive ratings in the last two weeks are the Raptors the Heat the Lakers um the Bucks have actually fallen back a lot on defense this year compared to past years I think some of that is personnel I also think some of it is also it looks like to the naked eye the Bucks are trying more stuff like trying more varieties with their scheme because they like to play one way last year or the yeah. two years before that especially last year they really leaned into the we're going to just load up the paint and allow wide open three pointers, but there's an issue with that, especially when you face the good teams in the playoffs that have more dead eye shooters, more you know sophisticated sets, etc. Um, I think uh, where is Milwaukee right now? They are. I'm trying to find it. There they are. So the Bucks right now are 13th in defensive rating per cleaning the glass. Um. They're not far off from the top 10, but uh, they need to pick that up a little bit. But like you mentioned, they the Bucks still have a scheme, right? And I think that does, and especially more and more in today's NBA where the scoring is up and offenses are more sophisticated. You just need more innovation um, in terms of diversifying your defensive scheme. And that's why I actually think Nurse is, one, is probably – for my money, the best coach in the NBA right now, because he just, he's so creative with what he does. Um, the Raptors don't have any star player. Well, Kyle Lowry, but he's been out and he might be traded, but the net Raptors still have a top 10 offense and a top 12 defense. That is literally like 0. 0.3, 0. 0.3 points per 100 possessions off from eighth in a defensive rating. So Shout out to Nick Nurse and the Raptors. Uh, they are definitely a team that scares the shit out of me, especially because the Sixers never beat the Raptors in Toronto or Tampa Bay, no matter where the Raptors play. Um, if we play the Raptors on the road, we're losing. Um, and they're a well-coached team, so teams should definitely be taking heed of the Raptors right now. Yeah. Totally agree. All right, man. Well, uh, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before uh... – we end this week's uh, BOB episode. Uh, no, I'm excited to to see the second half of the schedule. Uh, we're yeah. going to get that soon. Yep. Uh, I'm curious. I'm curious how we're going to get some of these. Uh, we're getting a lot more postponements as of late, and so I'm curious to see some how teams these are, are going to finish less the... than 72 games. I have a feeling, yeah. uh, and then some teams are going to be pissed because <laughs> they're going to be going off win percentage for these playoff seedings. Also, I I have a sneaking feeling in my gut. We need rollback netcode for rollback uh, net IRL code. games. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a fighting game reference, people. If you get that, uh. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where we go because I think that we have a lot left to go in the season, and uh, 
Yeah, but it's been a really interesting first half, and I think like teams teams are starting to get healthy and starting to get into a rhythm, and it's it's turning out to be a lot of fun. So, like, dude, between the fifth and fourteenth seed in the West, it's like separated by less than seven games. It's kind of crazy. I know the seven games sounds like a big gap, but I'm talking about from seed the fifth seed all the way down to the 14th seed. It's been jumbled. The 11 through 14 seeds are basically a game and a half, two games out of the play-in seeds. And then the play-in seeds are fighting amongst themselves for position. And the Spurs are also right there on the outside, or they're the sixth seed. They're just on the outside of the play-ins. That, that whole five through 14 in the West, and especially in the East, like, Four through thirteen is separated by only four games. Like the Washington Wizards, believe it or not, after I've said I have tired of watching that damn team, despite the offense they put up, they are a game and a half <laughs> out of the tenth seed. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. So it's a weird season, but it looks like it's a fun jumbled one. We're about to see how it shakes out. Yeah, the down the stretch should be a ton of fun, and the new play-in format is just going to make it even more aggressive down the line. So. Oh yeah, yeah, very very excited. But uh, yeah, we're going to get the All Star game first, and and we'll go from there. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. The B O B.